I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, joined as always by Murray Kinslow of the 42. Murray, how are you? I'm good. Got the dog walked nice and early, so I'm recovered, showered and finally warm and uh, dry again. How are you, Gav? <laughs> good, thanks. Yeah, weather is absolutely shocking here, so I haven't been outside the door <laughs> in a couple of days, but I uh, got through Jazz Weekend unscathed, so I'm getting there. Nice. Bernard Jackman, how are you? Yeah, all good, thanks. Let's crack on. Let's do it. We're going to wrap on the province's URC blocks. Just see which way the wind is blowing for each of them. Uh, Touch upon the women's squad at the top of the show for the November internationals, both of which will be staged at the RDS and then look ahead as well to the men's November series. And uh, I think that's just about it. We'll keep it to about an hour and let the lads off with their days. Um, Let's start with that women's squad, uh, Murray. So, Six uncapped players for the games with Japan and the USA. Uh, I was personally delighted to see Chloe Pierce back in there as well. She was outstanding for Munster over the Interpros, and it's just good to see that Interpro form rewarded with a return to the fold. What do you make of it? And I suppose considering it, these are going to be Adam Griggs's two final games in charge, what are you expecting from the series as a whole? How much do you anticipate he might integrate some of those players in? I would imagine there will be an element of that. I mean, this is the start of the next chapter, really. I know, as you say, Adam Griggs will be stepping down and Greg McWilliams will be coming in, as we discussed, but it certainly is a chance to to get things kick-started. And that's a positive, those six uncapped players. Um, you look at someone like Mavo Goliri, who was superb in the Interpro series, um, and indeed all, all the players who've been called up. And, and it's just good to see that kind of form rewarded. As you say, Chloe Pierce was an absolute standout in that championship, just devastatingly destructive with ball in hand and it's wonderful to see her back in the mix has obviously played for Ireland before um, but kind of been on the periphery of, of it since getting since getting capped so she'll absolutely add something to the squad in terms of her momentum in terms of that carry and ability to beat defenders Anna Capus is back in there which is again a positive I thought she'd been playing really well for Ireland before she kind of fell out of the picture a little bit um, Dorothy Wall is missing with, uh, with injury um, and, and obviously would be generally a starter as well. So that's a little bit of a blow, but there's plenty there to to get excited about. Still, obviously, some of the, the more veteran figures involved, but I think there's probably a, a desire on their part to just put what happened in Parma behind them and, and play for Ireland and, and enjoy it again. And, and two good fixtures as well for, for this test series against USA and Japan. There'll be good challenges and you would hope just a bit of that kind of regrowth and uh, renewal starts now for, for Ireland before Mac Williams comes in and, and takes over and, and pushes things on for the next World Cup cycle. Yeah, it should be an exciting two games, Birch. Um, at the RDS as well, just feels a little bit more big time or something. I, maybe that sounds almost, I don't know, disparaging or something. I don't mean it to, but I suppose just that it is the start of a new chapter. Having the games in the RDS feels about right to me. Uh, but Griggs then is in a bit of a weird situation like it is odd for a coach to be um manager game so to speak before stepping away how do you think he'll approach it yeah I, I, look at i think it's brilliant um that the the uh, the players are going to get the opportunity to play for a country i think i don't really see the sense in adam doing these two games to be honest and even if greg is contractually tied up um i think they could have probably fast tracked to you know whoever's going to be part of Greg's support staff. Um, I just think it's a wasted opportunity really to start the um, the the new revolution or or, or the new era. Um, like it's very rare uh, someone underperforms, you know, it moves on and and gets to have whatever uh, you know two games that are going to be crucial in terms of getting the team ready for for the Six Nations. Now maybe behind the scenes, Greg has has had an influence on selection. Um, maybe can have an influence on how they train and play, but it's just a, it's just a strange one, really, and and I don't really see the the logic in it, to be honest. Looking back on the weekend's action, then only one place to start: the Aviva Stadium, uh, an unusual location, I suppose, for Connacht against Ulster. But a game we were really looking forward to, and a game that kind of delivered, certainly delivered from Connacht's point of view. Both of you called it last week that you reckon Connacht might just catch them, and that's what it felt like. It sort of felt like they caught Ulster on the hop a little bit, Murray. The two intercepts, 
um, were sort of opportunistic and you can say they were Ulster errors, but they were also kind of just looking that little bit sharper on the day. What did you make of the game overall? Yeah, I, I did think it was a deserved victory for Connacht. And I actually thought they could have won by a fair bit more. Like they were quite wasteful down in the opposition 22 and Ulster's 22. They had 18 visits and they didn't score in 10 of them. So they'll feel they could have been more clinical there. They gave away a lot of penalties as well to keep Ulster in the game to an extent. I thought there was a real gulf in terms of how the two teams turned up, to be honest. I thought it was evident in non-tactical, technical things like the body language and the volume from the players. Connacht were loud, aggressive, abrasive, confrontational, nasty from the start, which is something that we talked about, maybe them having more consistently in the game. And I thought Ulster were passive in comparison and and almost let the game pass them by. So I think there'll be huge frustrations from their point of view in, in not delivering that side of the the. I suppose, application towards the game. But yeah, as you mentioned, the intercepts were a key part of it. Defensively, Connacht were superb. And that's been one of the themes, I suppose, is the the growth in that side of the game. It's a real strength for them now. And even you saw something like Jack Carty blocking down against Munster and scoring a try off it. They're, they're going and making big plays with, with their defence, which is, is good to see. Um, and totally deserved. It, it was almost not surprising. We both backed Connacht because we know they can bounce up and down and recover from disappointments. But I suppose this was on the back of a good performance in Tone Park where they didn't get over the line. So that is even more encouraging. And it's a nice way for them to end a, the five-week block, which unfortunately you look at and they, they won two out of five and they're already down that bottom half of the table and at the bottom of the Irish Shield. That's the harsh reality of it. But the exciting part is that we can see just how good they can be when, when they fully deliver and, and have that kind of close to their maximum peak performance. Bert, talk to us about the influence of Cullum Tucker there with Connor's defence because he had big enough shoes to fill with Peter Wilkins sort of moving up in the world within the organisation. Um, what did you see over the weekend that would offer you a little bit of hope for the season going forward? Yeah, look, I think I, I thought it was excellent, to be honest. I, um, obviously, they defended well in Munster, but because of Munster's deficiencies in attack at the moment, that's not a real test. Uh, and I'm not saying Ulster's attack is is perfect, but they they do have attacking threats um, out wide. Uh, they do generally like to play, um, and particularly since Dan Soper's come in, they've they focused on this two sided attack, um, getting the ball to the edges. So it was it was li- always likely to be tested in a in a different way. Plus, the conditions in the Viva were good. Um, conditions in Munster that night were were difficult. It became an arm wrestle. So. For me, that was the the big test, um, and obviously, I think it was going to take him four or five games to to get into it. A very, very difficult task to come in from within. So, come in from your academy, um, a little bit unproven, uh, to go into a senior coaching setup where the old defence coach is still there, um, who's now a senior coach, and to effectively rip apart his system and philosophy and put your own in place. So, I think people need to uh, understand how difficult that that can be and so many coaches they give on their philosophy a little bit for the sake of of the dynamics of of the politics of the room and such and i know pete wilkins back 10 years he's a phenomenally um good guy and i'm not saying that he would be uh difficult to 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 work with or anything like that but just you know the senior coach has done this for the last three or four years and you're coming in and actually changing it up so i think it's brilliant and and you know i think as well um you could see them actually having scouted ulster particularly for the for the first mac hansen try um and it is high risk you know to be that narrow uh to be that uh far infield that mac hansen was but they obviously saw the play that Ulster used, which is a three-man stack. Um, and the fact that McCluskey is the first receiver there, it does limit their option to to throw that pass early, to be honest. And that's that's nothing against McCluskey, but um, you know, a, a 10 or a or natural ball player is more likely to throw that ball early than uh, a McCluskey who's, who's probably off his left hand is probably going to go with the, the strike move, which is obviously just to carry... Uh, play it out to Billy Burns out the back, have Hume's, Hume coming short and then decide what to do. Obviously, uh, Billy Burns would have a, a trail runner as well, which was um, which was his left winger. So, um, But Connacht obviously spotted that and they came in and shut it down. Now, obviously, I don't think they would have expected to, to get the intercept, but they expected to stop and catch Ulster behind the gain line in the middle of the field. So I, I credit Ulster, um, Connacht for that. I would be shocked if they if they did that every single time. Um, I think the next time they play against that type of play, 
you'll see a different type of shape. And that's what you want from your defence to to change things up. Um, and then just in fairness, and just the attitude of the players in terms of how they worked off the ball, um, how they ha- hassled and harried um, Ulster. And in fairness, they, they did bring, and everyone says, oh, line speed, emotion, physicality. So I'm not trying to, I don't want to talk about that shit because it's just so generic. So I'm, I'm trying to give you one example that um, is, was an example, that set-piece example was an example that we haven't seen that often. Lots of teams play a hard four up um, in that situation, but very few will give you 40 metres on the outside as, as Connacht did but they were brave and and they shut it down they got the ultimate reward which was the intercept so um, yeah I think it's it's great I mean you know and Andy Friend in fairness to him you know he, he took and, uh, and credit to the lads Mossy Lawler and Colin Tucker I think they're obviously very good coaches um, but I think you know I have to give Andy Friend credit as well for, for seeing their potential and bringing them bringing them through uh, and, and Mossy you know, on the other side of things, um, you know, uh, the, the the try for John Porch, you know, okay, we can question the defence, but it was a well-executed set-piece uh, try where, you know, there was good detail, really good timing, and, you know, they got they got the reward for it. And um, so, yeah, I, I think I think both Mossy Lawler, Colin Tucker, um, you know, D-Wall, is, uh, D-Wall Senegal and Bias on this, but he has, he's done a good job in, in stopping that mall defense being a, uh, a a massive weakness and then Wilkins is, is putting it all together so um yeah the job well done I agree with Murray though you know it's been a poor start but I would say I would say when you when you compare their fixtures to you know uh, the teams obviously they're competing with the Irish teams for European qualification but realistically haven't played Munster and Ulster um, and gone away to Cardiff um the only real disappointing result for me was the Dragons the Dragons at home that was one that they They'll rue for maybe maybe the whole season, but in general they've had a difficult enough fixture list, and winning that match just gives them a chance. If they'd have lost that game, to be on six points, you know, after five games and and all the other Irish provinces on more than twenty, or obviously we would have fancied Ulster to, you would have thought Munster would have won, um, but for the other provinces to be on nineteen plus, um, it's very difficult to see them catching making that up later on in the year. You can really see the identity as well that they've targeted this season. One of the kind of teams is is being fast and that definitely applies to their defense as well it's not just around the line speed it's about being fast into position because that allows you to to be in position to to make um to bring a lot of line speed they're really quick at resetting on both sides of the ball in, in defense and attack you're seeing that reflected in, in some of the stats now as well just looking back at it this morning like they're top three in the league so far for dominant tackles which was Maybe not something that 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 was happening so consistently before. Their tackle success rate as well is is second only to Ulster's in the whole competition. So they're they're technically really sound around the defensive side of the game. And then you look at that that fast team on the other side of the ball. Their average rock speed is second only to Leinster's, who's is obviously ridiculously quick. Two point eight seconds for Leinster and Connacht are just over three seconds. So you're actually seeing. The, the teams and the identity that they've really pushed forward being illustrated on the pitch. And that's really pleasing for, for them, um, for the coaching staff in particular. Like also the the Wilkins, te- you know, Pete Wilkins taking over the the overall attack um, is it was a big job for him and a big shift. And I think the most pleasing moment for him is that Niall Murray try because you don't really see those kind of multi-phase attack tries a whole lot in the game anymore. It's very often early in your in your possession off set piece or off turnover that you're scoring tries but that was a nice bit of shape a lovely bit of interplay obviously to take advantage of some some poor Ulster defence but he would have been so pleased with how they played through Ulster there as well without needing to go necessarily to the straight to the width so yeah there's lots of positive signs there and the next block is going to be so intense for them isn't it you know you obviously have this period of inactivity for all the provinces, but then you're into what eight weeks, I think, in a row with Champions Cup and with URC, and um, I suppose this period gives them another chance to reset. Now have a lot of players whose main focus is going to be resting up and then coming straight back to to Connacht and, and driving things on. So they they left up left up in a, in a really promising place. Yeah, that next block you'd imagine will be absolutely crucial, as we were saying last week. If you've got a good result in the weekend just gone, yes, it's only two wins out of five, but it's sort of four decent, four good performances, really. And if inconsistency has been the problem, turn a couple of those performances into victories and you could become a four and five team, which is a decent batting average, just to darken 
Connacht fans' doors a little bit. Colin Grimes in the WhatsApp group last night, the members' WhatsApp group, Murray, I think he was listening to Off the Ball and they reminded him that, say, Jack Carty is out of contract at the end of the season. And I think he was one of the first players to volunteer to take a pay cut. Um, but say, with his international future looking uncertain to say the least and potentially over, like really, if as we said in the pod before, to use your phrase, Birch, his face doesn't fit for whatever reason, or if they just feel as though he's not good enough. Do you see difficulty in hanging on to him at the end of the season? Um, If he feels as though that door is shut for uh, a place in Irish squads. Yeah, I suppose that is a concern. I don't know where Jack Cardi's thinking is at the moment, but all that stuff is happening in in the background. There's a huge number of players, both high profile and, and squad players, out of contract at the end of this year and, and lots of that stuff is now happening earlier than it was last season I mean we mentioned McCluskey there I know he's one in Ulster who's out of contract and what a massive player he is and, and what a big addition he'd be for many clubs uh, around the place I suppose with Cardi he's now stepping into that leadership role and captaining the side and there's a real price sense of ownership there and I'm sure Connacht are, are well aware of that there's definitely loyalty there and massive pride for him in representing the province and you can see the passion he brings to it uh, and the desire he has to to play for his for his uh, native province I suppose yeah he's going to be in demand absolutely like he had chances last season didn't he to I think Claremont was one of the possibilities there was premiership interest and absolutely there'd be I would imagine offers there in front of him so that'll be a huge decision and I I think it is certainly concerning that he's not in the Ireland mix same applies to someone like John Cooney you know international rugby has been the massive carrot in in terms of keeping guys at home but if you're so clearly out of the mix and I suppose so clearly not favoured by the current coaching staff that's got to be a big part of your thinking Just uh, just on, on Carty um, I actually watched last night Ireland-Japan from, from uh, the World Cup because um, I'm doing something for, for next week just preparing for next week and you know the narrative is you know he's the fall guy for that defeat, and um, I'd urge anyone who thinks that he was he was the cause of that defeat to to watch it again because actually um, that's far from it. He had a he had a more than a decent game, so I think um, and and I think also he would he would even he would accept and and anyone who's working with him or watching him would accept he's a more mature player now, um, and even his his leadership qualities you can hear him under F Mike. Um, in 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 uh, in in the, in the Viva on Saturday night on Saturday evening, um, really bossing his players, he's taking responsibility, uh, and he's having a massive role in Connacht's um, in Connacht's performances. He's not shying away from from taking responsibility on the field, ball in hand as well. So, um, I think I think he he shouldn't write off. I think Cooney, I would understand if Cooney, you know, um, feels. His, his face doesn't fit but I, I, I'd i be shocked if I'd be very disappointed if Carty can't find a way back in to be honest I don't I don't think he's he's that far away to be honest and I, and I think Harry Byrne who I rate highly definitely has potential to to develop but I think if you're looking if there's a World Cup in January you know um, and you're bringing three out halves I'm not sure you'd bring Harry at the moment just because obviously of his injury profile and, and maybe um lack of, of experience of having to to rough it out. You know, let's be honest, whatever ten plays for for Leinster has an armchair ride. Um whereas Jack Carty's used to having to fix things on the run when, when Connacht don't get dominance up front or or their set piece lets them down, uh, uh, etc. So I would say Jack Carty isn't a million miles away, even though obviously you know, it looks like he's he's completely out of the loop. And and again, I, I I don't think he was the reason we lost against Japan in the World Cup. Yet it's a very it's a very simple way of shifting blame onto a onto you know a relatively inexperienced ten at international level. Could talk about that ten picture all day, but we need to chat about Ulster as well. And I suppose Murray asked firstly what went wrong for them. It seemed as though they lacked a little bit of invention, and maybe some of the cracks that they had papered over very well in previous games um, came to the fore and like there was a caveat in those cracks as well in that they had been absolutely decimated by injuries we had said for the last few weeks they'd done very well to get the results that they did get uh, it just felt as though again I suppose to to say what you guys were saying last week that they were caught over the weekend and just weren't up to speed for whatever reason yeah it was uh I suppose a reversal of what's been happening for them at the attacking mall. Birch mentioned Connick's excellent defence there and early on they had really key 
bit of mall defense five meters out from their trial and we're also going to the corner they've been scoring frequently from that kind of position and it was a bit of a blow i suppose psychologically for for connick to strike there um with with their mall d and then in, in attack like obviously the connick defense was excellent but ulster really struggled to find any solution i think i mean it's obviously to look at the, the most recent injury but will addison's ability to be that second playmaker i think was something that that they did miss a little bit in the kind of phase attack where connacht were repeatedly driving them backwards i think the dear kilgallen one is a really good example where they've repeatedly lost the gain line they continue to try to to win it back and at times you've got to be i suppose a bit more mature with your tactical decision making there and, and accept that maybe you're not going to win every single possession and, and that at times you got to use your kick game to to pressure them when you're under pressure from their defense so i think they'll look at all those kind of decisions they made uh, on the pitch in terms of not taking a bit of pressure off their off their attack and actually allowing connacht to to feed off how they were looking to, to break them down so there are really disappointing elements to it i do think dan mcfarland's comments around their inability to handle being favorites are a big concern for them because that's a that's a big psychological issue to get your head around i mean being underdogs is a nice position to be in it's an easier position to be in almost because that expectation isn't around your team but for for mcfarland to be so honest i think is is brilliant but that's a big one for him to fix with his obvious interest in in psychology and that side of the game the injury list is absolutely a factor in it and, and you've got to be straight up about that henderson obviously hasn't played stockdale still to come back you've got longer term injuries like mcgrath marshall is a chukwu jordy murphy's been out john cooney obviously has been such a heartbeat for this team and now Addison on top of that I'm probably missing a few others as well and that's pretty much like you know half a team if not more of quality and experience to come back so they will have boosts in that regard but to be honest weirdly considering they were 20 out of 20 before this match in terms of match points I think it was kind of common there was fault lines in the performances around attacking breakdown around inability to finish chances um, and I'd say that is the wake-up call that was almost required in a sense. McFarland's comments, Bert. Oh, sorry, you want to come in there? Well, I just think, you know, the narrative this week, in certain, well, obviously Dan said it, um, and, and has been talked about Munster, we can't handle being favourites. Like, we're 25 years uh, in professional, professional rugby now. Um, like, have we not moved on in, in any way that, like, you know, let's be honest, going to the Ospreys as favourites in a, in a URC game or coming down to Dublin as favourites, um, to play Connacht, it's hardly like life-threatening pressure that people need to be able to to, to deal with. Like, um, and these are totally professional athletes. And there's a very good article in the Telegraph this week uh, from I think Daniel Schofield um, about George Ford's form at the moment, and he's working he's working with a, um, a sports psychologist called Don McPherson, who, who's worked with some of the, the best the best athletes in the world, and how he's training his mind um and listening to mp3s etc but i just my, my point and he's in top form he's a, he's an unbelievable form for for leicester and he's dropped from england but he uh he seems to really found the consistency and, and i just I, I don't understand um how i just think it's it's very easy <laughs> it's, it's not really it's not really analysis or um like if we're going to just keep doing this in 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 twenty thirty one, you know, when the provinces lose, and it's because we're under, we're we're favourites, and we need to be underdogs. I mean, like I just think we, we we need to be better. And obviously, Dan, I I, I take it from Dan because he's pointing at at something, uh, maybe a mental weakness he feels was in the squad. And he was very he was very harsh but very honest post match, uh, and he put put his team in, in place. But um, like there's there has to be more to it than that. Or if that is the issue. Like what's being done to fix it? Because we're not always we're not we're, more than likely if we're playing very well, which we want to, we want to be playing very well. We are going to go into games as favourites. So um, it's something that Leinster being able to deal with pretty well in in the URC. You know, um, yeah, it's it's something that a lot of Irish sports people have conquered, being able to perform as favourites. So uh, I, I just think we are, if that's the issue, um, well, something needs to be done about it. All right, well, I was going to chat about Leinster next, but while you're on a roll there, what the hell went wrong with Munster then, uh, as they were favourites in Swansea against the Ospreys? Yeah, look, I just think they, they Munster, similar to Ulster, haven't been playing very well, um, but they've managed to, to get results. And what I, and the problem is, is that really good teams, they realise when they're not playing well and they fix it 
um, and continue to win. So, for example, you can be sure Leinster got out of Dragons um, having not performed well. And they didn't go in on Monday and go, oh, sure, we won. You know, sure, what can you say? We, we got the four points. That's all that matters. Like, they actually... Uh, were very difficult, uh, had very difficult conversations, were very hard on themselves, and they fixed it. They're much better against Scarlets, and they're much better against Glasgow. So, and, and look, at Leinster aren't, you know, Leinster still have to go prove that they can win European Cups, etc. So, I'm not saying that they're perfect, but, like, that's what you want. The maturity in a group um, to be able to, uh, you know, the, the, the cliche is win and learn. Uh, I don't know if Ulster and Munster learned a huge amount from the games where they underperformed um, but they got got the wins uh, on evidence of last weekend. They didn't, you know, they didn't. They didn't. Like if you're Ulster, and you know that you're okay, you're getting bonus points, but you know there's elements of your performance that aren't where you needed to be. You come to the Viva with the bit between the teeth, and you look to fix those. You know what I mean? You don't just come out and expect it to happen. And, and Munster went going to the Ospreys. Like let's be honest, the Ospreys didn't have their Welsh internationals, you know. And and I think Ospreys have, have improved massively. Um, I think they're well coached. Toby Boot has uh, had a very good game plan to play Munster. So they went after him at set piece. They kicked very well. Um, they played off nine, very narrow off nine. So you saw Reese Webb just taking a couple of steps, little runners off his shoulder. It didn't break Munster. They didn't make line breaks. But it frustrated the hell out of Munster and they built phases and they stopped Munster being able to get any big impact moments. Uh, so I think that was smart. You know, it's it was a kind of pragmatic game plan to beat a team that had more tools uh, in t- on paper than, than than Ospreys did, um, and yeah, Munster couldn't. They obviously got pinged for that double bank maul early on, and John Ryan, you know, definitely that's been things have been getting away with first four rounds. So um, you know, you can be sure referees, and I know referees have been getting examples of this pre and post match, um, and eventually someone is going to 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 pick up on it. And but like, there's no need to do that, for, particularly for that try that they that was disallowed. I mean, they're already shifting the ball in the air. You know, they're dropping it down to another pod. You don't need to double bank on that because you've actually moved the point of contact. So just little little elements that are a little bit sloppy that have been getting away with. They they didn't get away with the scrum. Um, got you know got into big trouble, and and the, and the worrying thing for me, and this is something that's been common, is their monster pack, despite being dominant in the mall, um, in terms of their carries actually aren't actually giving them front football so i would feel sorry for their nines and tens at the moment because they actually aren't they're rarely on the front foot you know they're rarely on the front foot and, and the stormer shut them down connor shut them down um you know the lines in you know, the lines around one weren't really at the races uh, uh around two around yeah when i played the lines lines weren't really up to speed um and yeah so they their attack their attack has has given them nothing um and looks looks really poor so you're relying on them getting penalties to get you into the corner and to be able to to, to maul or pick and go over so Munster despite having a lot of points I, I don't think the the if they do this review properly of block one um I don't think a lot I, I'd imagine a lot of stuff that they've worked on in preseason hasn't hasn't come to fruition which is fine I mean it's early days and they've got they have got points but realistically they're, they're gonna need to be a lot better I think mm, it's a curious thing Murray isn't it they're apparent reliance on their forwards because it would appear as though they believe their pack is a lot better than it actually is or than it routinely performs and really it's a reliance on the rolling mall and not much else like you look at how they set up a few phases after set piece even some of their strike plays off set piece there's not a whole lot to it really at the moment or so it seems to my more untrained eye anyway yeah, I'd agree with that. It's kind of top of my list here for from the five-week box. Like the set-piece attack away from the mall, I think they need to show more creativity and use of weapons like Simon Zebo when he's on the pitch and, and the fact that he's only touching the ball once in an attacking uh, context or Keith Earls, the back row quality they have. They have lots of brilliant tools there that you can build simple but effective set-piece attacks around. And you look at teams like... I don't know, let's say Harlequins as an example of how they construct around someone like Don Brandt and give him opportunities to create for, for others and and they get their best players on the ball in good positions. Leinster do the same with regularity and I don't really see that as much with Munster. Absolutely, the mall has been key and, and listen, it's fantastic to have a strength like that when you're under pressure in games as we've seen them going to it and, um, and, and I suppose getting grip of the momentum of the game but it's having the ability to to strike in in ways that are beyond that the the 
detail I suppose around their carrying needs to be better as well Birch mentioned there the the I suppose they're renowned as a momentum team, but they're not quite getting that at all times with their with their phase attack. And sometimes it's a little bit basic. I think of an example like last weekend where Jeremy Lockman just gets completely isolated and he's no one on his, you know, no one in a, in a forward pod with him and he gets choke tackled and turned over. Um, little bits of sloppiness around their, their handling close to the ruck as well. And there's probably a lack of variety in that. You see it at times with Gavin Coombs using his footwork or his offloading game or a little tip on passes, but it's probably not there frequently enough. And when under pressure, it's it's reverting to a probably more predictable uh, approach around that. So yeah, they're they're good enough to bully their way over most teams um, at this stage of the season. Obviously not the Ospreys this time, but again, you look for it down the line and, and variety is, is absolutely massive to it. So you would love to see a bit more of that invention around their attack and, and getting the really good players they have more thoroughly involved in games. Are they going anywhere, Birch? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, they're not. They're not many miles away. So I'm trying to be. I'm. I'm they're. They're not because. Well, well, look at in this competition. Um, they're still a top four team, I think, um, without a doubt. Um, and and that's you know that's nothing to be. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard. It, it, maybe I sound overly critical. I'm not trying to be. I, I'm just trying to see or talk about where Munster can go to be a trophy winning team. And I think that should be, uh, that should always be where Munster um, expect to be. And unfortunately, I think in some ways that's half the frustrations I have is that I'll, some Munster fans that I speak to kind of have taken it for granted that they're not at that top top table anymore. Um, and I don't see why they should that 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 should be the level of expectation. I think you know you've, they've had stability now in terms of coaching staff. They've they very rarely lose players. They, you know they've recruited well, but obviously bringing back. Um, Zebo um this summer obviously we haven't seen Jenkins yet but you know they brought in RG and, and Damien uh Delande the the year before um they've lots of internationals they've an unbelievable heritage and 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 you know home home support etc so i like I, i'm talking about Munster going to the next level and i just can't see because they've tried this for the last 4 or 5 years of being a box kicking you know uh exert pressure team um but it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked in semi-finals. You know, when they come up against a team who can stand up to that but have more strings to their bow, they've fallen short. And you would like to think that normally attack takes takes time. You have to actually, you know, do it in, in live opposition. Leinster can get away with it to a certain extent because their second string can test them. But, you know, uh, I don't. I doubt Munster are, are, are keeping stuff back for, for December, January or, or for May. I, I, I think they just haven't found... The, the right um I don't know uh formally yet to to implement what they what you'd imagine they're trying to do which is bring in you know a little bit more wrinkles to their game uh, but we haven't really seen a lot of it and I don't blame the halfbacks I genuinely I, I think I think it's it's too easy to just blame Joey and Craig or whatever I, I think when you look at them play particularly from the backfield view um there's not enough setups uh being the players aren't getting into any shapes uh, or good enough shapes early enough to do anything with it, you know, um, and that's that's the challenge for them, you know, and, and um, you know, the next team we're going to see is Japan next week. Watch them off the ball in how they work to get into shapes that can threaten defences. So they're not the biggest team in the world, um, but they, they play to their strengths and, and, and I'm not saying Munster can play like Japan or need to, but you would like to see them have more urgency uh, and more understanding of what they're trying to do and, and make it easier for their 9 and 10. I wonder what Peter said we'll be having this conversation again in a few weeks' time. We'll come back to it then. <laughs> Hopefully we won't. Uh, let's chat about Leinster then, speaking of teams that win trophies. And just look, Brett, I'll stick with yourself. Another unbeaten start. They actually cruised to it at Scotsman on Friday night. Um, pretty much a double score game, I think, in the end. And I don't know, they looked ominously good within the context of this competition. Once more, I suppose the questions regarding Leinster will come maybe in the latter stages of European competition, or that's the impression we're getting at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I, I, um, I think they've, okay, without bringing in any monsters um, over the off-season, I think the subtle move of, of moving Porter to Loosehead um, means they now have a, a, an all-action impact front row like like Toulouse have, you know, um, and but they have a bench as well. So effectively, it could be bringing on Keen Healy, Dan Sheen, and Michael Alatoa um, for the last twenty minutes of a of a big European game. So I don't think any team 
well, not many teams to be better than that. Um, and I think that's maybe what caught Leinster a little bit in La Rochelle. They had a few injuries. You know, Johnny didn't play. Um, and some of their bench options just weren't going to ch- threaten or change the game. And, and that's that's no disrespect to the fellas on the bench. It's just that's the level, you know, you need. Um, and then they just look, you know, their, their work rate off the ball is is ridiculous um and you know someone like hugo keenan is probably the best example where he just flies around the field to to give himself up as a, sometimes just a decoy option but that decoy option holds a defender for a quarter of a second and it allows leinster get to an edge um i thought ross Byrne was very composed i thought he he showed what what you know what he brings um in terms of organization and um you know he he's he was in danger of being the forgotten man in a lot of people's eyes but i thought that was a nice a way of reintroducing himself back and, and putting his hand up for selection for leinster um and yeah just a physicality their counter rooking was something that they picked and choose when they did it but when they did it they did it so um efficiently and aggressively and again that's something that i think they just targeted glasgow in that in, in that aspect so you're you're seeing Little slight changes, you know, game by game, um, to go after a, an opposition in in, a, in an area they feel they're strong or weak, but to make a mark. And uh, yeah, they're they're humming along nicely now, um, you know, uh, and they yeah they should win the URC. Uh, you know, I don't think I doubt that. And I, I think that's the level, that's the minimum for them, which sounds harsh. But then obviously, you know, I think that this squad probably need to win Europe to to be able to feel they've accomplished what they're what their talent deserves it's a fair point as well about the bench Murray isn't it it feels as though they do have that little bit more oomph coming off of it and look we know their squad is about 50 men deep generally speaking it's more than good enough to win this competition but it is I suppose for Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster about finding that balance for those European games where we saw say against La Rochelle the impact that came off La Rochelle's bench versus Leinster's at that time changed the game really or won the game. Um, so do you feel as though they're actually moving in the right direction in that regard as Bert was saying there? Yeah, absolutely. And they'll they'll have their fingers crossed for injury luck on that front because if they keep that six-man front row unit intact, it's going to be a massive weapon. The same with their 10-man back row unit. Like you pick whoever you want there and it's going to be a brilliant back row plus one or two of them coming off the, the bench to to change games like you look at the 23 they can feel it and if they again have injury luck it's going to be ridiculous when they get to those big games I think it's going to be so hard to pick the back row because you've seen Levy growing in form Deegan's back now competing Van der Fleer's playing brilliant rugby Conan's a line Doris is just a brilliant rugby player and there's several others there competing like we haven't seen Scott Penny and he's a, a brilliant back row and that is the challenge as well here you mentioned the the 50-man squad like it's an even bigger challenge now because there are fewer games with URC, even with Champions Cup pool stages. And it's going to be really tricky keeping everyone happy and keeping everyone at home more than it was before. Um, you know, hopefully we'll see a lot more AIL involvement for the younger guys in particular. But you're not going to go, you're not going to see guys who just missed out in Ireland squad going back to the AIL and playing a lot of rugby there. So I think that'll be a fascinating part of the landscape moving forward, how they fill these gaps now. You've got a month here without games. In the Six Nations, you've got two games in the space of seven weekends, I think it is. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see what happens there. Our members newsletter this week was around my hope to see the Ireland Wolfhounds back in action. There's been a bit of chat and, and murmuring going on around that. And, and certainly it sounds like the RFU are open to having that happen. Um, and that'd be good to see. I think people would be excited by it. You'd certainly have a lot of Leinster guys who aren't even in the main Ireland squad in strong contention there. But for Colin Lancaster, that's a, an even more challenging part of it now. That's something I was going to ask you, Bernard, and maybe it is a stupid question, but at all of the provinces, what do you do over the next month with the guys you have there to keep them stimulated? Maybe that sounds a bit unfair to them. They're professional sports people, but I suppose just the fact that you don't have that block of games and not everyone can play IAL, you have to make it not boring, right? Yeah, I think everyone does flip their schedules around and, and that's half to, um, the monotony or the mental drain is around having it's great and it gives you real comfort going into a game of having done x on a monday tuesday you know your your standard week and you tick it off um but that does become become quite monotonous as well um so and and generally the content of the training sessions are are quite similar you know so for your um your scrum session you'll have a 10 minute um block of, of warm-up that tends to stay quite quite similar um so i think most of them will give them 
a week, 10 days off, uh, and then they'll go into mini preseason blocks again. Uh, so effectively, they might do a three-week block or a two-week block of um, of a heavy amount of conditioning um, and heavy focus on skills. Uh, and then they'll go back into kind of uh, match match mode two weeks out, um, but obviously not having a game that Saturday, so you can go a little bit heavier at the end of the week, and then they'll be back into into normal. And a lot of them will they'll do kind of challenges and games around around that S, around that S and C part, um, where they'll split into teams and they'll all be competing because um, players players like that, and there'll be some kind of a, a carrot at the end of it. So, and then I think some of them will do some team building stuff off, you know offside as well and and hopefully i'd imagine someone will have a, a few beers together somewhere or a meal uh, and just yeah just try and try and make sure that you come out of it physically in great shape but also uh, mentally a little bit uh, recharged that's the beauty of this season they get a block now and they get a block in, in the six nations where there's an opportunity to get better and um and certainly uh you know players do enjoy even though preseason is hard i mean a short preseason block which is of two and a half three weeks um is 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 a, just about right in fairness and will will get you feeling great coming out of it can i get a hype check from you for the upcoming block of international fixtures then i know you are yourself a professional <laughs> you will be working through november but on a, on a bernard jackman scale of one to ten um yeah I, i'm eight i think eight eight in general um oh. for the all blacks i'm ten um I'd say for Argentina I'm nine and for uh, sorry for Japan I'm nine and for Argentina about seven uh for some reason I, I just don't I haven't enjoyed the Argentina Ireland games historically um but I, I'm really fascinated to see Japan I look back at the, the summer game as well last night um I thought it was yeah I thought Japan scored 31 points um and probably weren't as accurate as as they normally are so I think they're and I know Ireland have a will have a stronger team out but I think they're going to be a, a really really interesting challenge just doing some research they um you know obviously they kept the same coaches from from 2019 and the reason one of the reasons they stayed and didn't stay in the fight to be all backs coaches was they really believed they can do something special again um with japan at 2023 and are are looking to play even faster um and with even more and more intelligently and, and that's the big thing about about japan you know in 2019 compared to under eddie jones um so i think in eddie in 2015 they scored 900 900 tries were structured they had no tries off unstructured and then i think it was six seven um at 2019 in terms of the difference between structured and unstructured so by all accounts from what i can understand is they're, they're looking to be even more devastating off unstructured play um and yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how that's developed they, they've been hurt by covid as well because they had massive momentum coming out of the world cup you know we we obviously didn't we needed to to reboot or rebuild um but they just couldn't get the opposition um or the the, ca- the calendar to to suit them so i think they're they see the light down the tunnel now and they're coming here and, and i think it's gonna be fascinating and i don't know where ireland are at i don't know where ireland are at uh which is intriguing as well um so yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah we'll we'll get into that japan game obviously next week as well murray but just to stick with them for a moment, Chris Birch alluded to it there. They came into that July game cold, but like really cold. Like they're, they're coming into this one cold, the same as Ireland in the sense that they haven't played in a few months. But in July, they hadn't played in a year, right? Like they hadn't played a test in a really long time. And 31 points, they looked good against a makeshift Ireland granted. But it just feels like this could be an, an absolute corker of a game and an actual serious test as well, just with Japan having shaken off that rust in the summer. Yeah, absolutely can't wait for this one. And the way they play is the most exciting part of it. Japan are now the big attraction in, in test rugby, aren't they? It was funny, I got onto my brother before these tests and said, you know, we had access to tickets. And I said, which game are you most interested in? He said, Japan, please. You know, even more so than the All Blacks now because he wants to go and watch Japan play rugby live in the flesh. And it is a thrilling sight. So uh, he's definitely going to enjoy that. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. They haven't actually played any rugby because um, of the league format over there. So as Owen Toulon was saying in Monday's member podcast, they only played last weekend against Australia. That's the only rugby they've had. So while we're talking about some of Ireland's squad being potentially undercooked obviously Japanese players have been conditioned really well and they're always really well prepared in camp but haven't got a huge amount of rugby behind them I wouldn't expect that to be a, a great deterrent to them playing the the same kind of rugby and with the same tempo and yeah massively looking forward to that it's a it's a series that'll test Ireland in, in different ways but it's a series where Ireland need to really focus on what they need to get out of it it was fascinating obviously to hear 
as has been much discussed, Johnny Sexton saying we've talked about 2023 World Cup. It's a little bit of a different approach now. So I'm really interested to see how that is reflected on the pitch over the next year or, or whatever it is until Farrell really settles into his team. I think there's more onus now on, on him to get things out of this series that will better Ireland further down the line. Obviously with the All Blacks match, you're going all out to win at home there. But I think it will be really, really beneficial to see whether it's Carberry or Byrne, whoever he's going to back to be that next in line, getting a big start, if not even potentially two at out half. We know Johnny Sexton is is well ahead of them. We know he's the, the main man there, but you've really got to start putting in some, um, I suppose, planning in terms of what happens if he gets injured. That That's always a possibility. I'd love to see Porter get three starts at loose head and let him push on and become one of the best loose heads around and really get to that test level back at loose head side. Um, even Kieran Frawley, I'd, I'd actually love to see him get a game at 12 because I, I think it would be fascinating to see what that different model brings. Like Japan are a brilliant example. Nakamura is probably the least heralded of their their kind of players, but he plays at 12. He's a really creative presence, offers so much to their ability to, to move the ball to wit, decision-making, just taking a bit of pressure off their 10. I'd love to see what Frawley could offer for Ireland in that regard. And we know they have good centres who, who we know what they can do as, as 12s and 13s. So it's just about finding out little things. Robert Balakun's another one I think could make Ireland better in the longer term. So get minutes into him as well. And and I suppose the last one that I was thinking of was was around the nine and, and how they're going to go with that now. Because Conor Murray's been the, the stalwart and, and I don't agree with all the kind of talk about his demise. I think it's a, a little bit exaggerated, but he is a different nine to someone like Gibson Park, who Farrell is clearly a massive fan of and offers a, a, a different approach, a, a more, I suppose, heads up as, as they talk about an Ireland camp approach to it and an ability to snipe down blind sides and really lift tempo. And 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 I suppose you've got a, a kind of clash of styles almost there without exaggerating it greatly myself. Um, and I'd love to see them kind of settle to what they actually want there from, from their nine. So loads of little bits from Ireland that I'm interested. And I hope this series isn't just about winning momentum, which is obviously important to a coach like Farrell. It's easy for me to talk about these things and, and not the, just the wins, but there's definitely an onus to, to get more out of it than that. Just to correct my own chronology there, Japan did play the Lions a week or so before they played Ireland, didn't they? But feck it, it was their second test in about two years. They did pretty well. But just to pick up on what Murray was saying there, what would make it a successful November for you? And again, we will be coming back to this in a bit more detail next week. But just looking at it as a block of fixtures for Andy Farrell and co, which are coaching hat on, which way are you leaning? More so towards momentum or more so towards uh, experimentation and the like? No, I, I think it's momentum. Um, I, I, I don't. I think even Johnny admitted that there's been frustrations with with some of Ireland's performances in, in terms of you know consistency. So it's to find that, and that's and that's what Ireland were so good at under under Schmidt was they were just very consistent. Like every week, you knew what what was going what they were going to bring, um, and that hasn't really happened yet. Uh, I would say two out of three in terms of results. Um, but being very competitive against the All Blacks, but uh, as Murray says, finding finding the key players for Ireland, the five or six players for Ireland in the in uh, that that far it's going to build a team around in the Six Nations, and um, and maybe it's the same guys. I, I'm not sure, but like I would say, there's a there's a question mark about Hooker, um, and there's a question mark uh, in terms of the back row. I'm not sure who the number one nine is. Um, we're not 100 percent sure. Uh, if Johnny doesn't play, um, you know how Joey's going to play. It, it, I'd imagine. I, I would imagine the pecking order is Johnny, Joey, Harry. Um, we're not. I'm not 100 sure. Like we're not 100 sure how Joey is. How far Joey's back is it? Is it the fact that Munster are losing collisions and uh, and there's not real clarity in, in the attack that's hampering him, or um, or is he just struggling to get that form? You know. Um, so I'd like to. I'd like to know who's back up to Johnny. For sure, and and are they in, in root health? Um, and then you know the other one is the Frawley question mark at twelve. You know, has he been brought in there just just as one of you know uh, as one of the larger squad, or do they actually think maybe he could be key to improving our attack as a twelve? Um, and that'd be a huge shift. Uh, but it'd be fascinating to see if if they are thinking that way. You know, um, or is he in there as a backup ten? I'm not sure. But if you play Frawley at twelve, it does open up. Um, our game um, in a in a different way. So yeah, they're they're they'd be the big ones for me from this from this series. To be honest, 
He hasn't touched the my cats about him, doesn't he, for all he has a player? I was just going to say that. Literally, Gav, that was the top of my head. And you're thinking about, like, coaches can obviously be different to how they played. You know, I think Larkin's actually a good example. People think that he coaches the way he played, but it's not actually like that at all, actually, really. When you look at how Munster attack and, and how they try to play, and maybe Cat's a little bit different, but he does remind me of him. And and it is, like, it's a it's a constant team across top-level rugby is having that extra creative influence in your back line whether it's at, at 15 or, or at 10 uh, rather 12 sorry um, and just having a little bit more of a two-sided attack something Bernard's mentioned a few times in, or the last couple of weeks and and not just having one decision maker and that's definitely been discussion within the Ireland camp is around you know everything runs through Johnny Sex and opposition teams have felt it and and felt that if they really get at him, they can take away Ireland's ability to be incisive in attack. And there's no doubting that there's some real attacking quality in the in the back three for for Ireland. And and it's just about again harnessing those weapons and having players that are capable of giving them opportunity to to do what they can do one on one or or two on two. So I'd love to see a little bit of that experimentation with Frawley he's a, a really good possibility there um, and yeah like Bondiaki's in, been in brilliant form we know Robbie Henshaw obviously isn't in the main squad we know exactly what he can do um, even if it's at 12 McCluskey obviously as well can can offer um, proven qualities but it'd be just really interesting to see something different there and it, it, you know even if it's ticking off and saying okay that doesn't work for us at least you've you've given it a go Gents pleasure as always Birch thank you thank you Murray, thank you, but we need to also plug your fantastic interview with Noel McNamara on the Members Pod, which came out on Monday. Do you want to give listeners a a quick, uh, not sample, but uh, a quick idea as to, yeah. as to what you got into? Yeah, it was actually really fascinating chat. He's a really interesting guy. You probably know Birch as well around coaching and his passion for it. Um, he's got a teaching background and you can <laughs> see it straight away. He's such a good communicator and he's so clear with his ideas. Um, and myself and Owen got into just his new gig with the Sharks. He's a tack coach there. Obviously a new culture. It was fascinating just to listen to himself and Owen. Um, and it probably gives an insight into the, the chats Birch has with other coaches around how they talk about rugby, which is slightly... Uh, different to us and in, in the media and, and how we're looking for headlines at times and and the more obvious points but um yeah he got into lots of the, the little subtle stuff and loads of little takeaways i suppose even for the coaches out there i'd say there, there was lots in it one that stuck with me was he said what's tactically desirable must be technically possible and i think it applies to loads of teams when you look at it like ireland for example want to be making more decisions on the fly on the pitch have more autonomy but maybe the players haven't grasped that or don't have the skill sets just yet um so yeah no's an interesting guy and and we got into all that and, and his future as well so great to have him on the on the pod and we're going to have a few more guests like that over the next few months um so yeah if people are interested in a bit more rugby coverage we we're out every monday on on the members pod and um always plenty to, to, to discuss there yeah, I had a lot of people get onto me actually looking for like a link to that podcast. But you've got to be a member of the 42. It's members.the42.ie. If you want to sign up, you can take a look at the homepage or the landing page there and see all of the offerings. There really is a good bit to get through. It's a five or a month or 42 euro for the year. A reminder as well that behind the lines number five is on sale uh, on the 42 shop. It's just www.the42.shop to get into our Shopify uh, site 12 euro for behind the lines number five uh, that's about it we'll be back in this regular slot next week until then mind yourselves and take it easy I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go <laughs> <laughs> it is coming on Robbie Robbie weekly